0: Welcome to the Teacher and the Preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher.
1: Welcome to The Teacher and The Preacher, and thank you for joining us again this weekend. Harold and I delight in being able to connect week after week and have dialogue about all different kinds of things. And we always start the program like this. I'm the preacher, Dave Magiera.
0: And I'm the teacher, Harold Berman. And we discuss a lot of things on the show, as our regular listeners uh, know. One of the things we were discussing last month is the many holy days in the Torah that you celebrate that f- uh, come in the fall. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles or Boots. If you missed any of those shows or there's any you want to listen to again, you can go to our website, teacherandthepreacher.com, and all the broadcasts are archived there. So... One feature of Jewish life is that there's a portion of the Torah is read each week during the year, so that you start in Genesis, and you end at the end of Deuteronomy, and you complete the whole Torah cycle uh, each year, and then you start all over again. And so each year, you're reading through the whole Torah a little bit at a time. And basically, at the end of this season of holidays, at at the end of Sukkot, is when the process starts again. So we just started, for for Jews who go to synagogue, uh, we just started uh, with Genesis, and we're in those early chapters. So we thought this would be a good time to talk about uh, the story of Noah, which was read recently in the synagogue, because obviously that that comes uh, pretty soon after the beginning. And then uh, there's some very interesting parallels when you look at Noah and you go back to uh, Adam and compare Adam to Noah, and there's some interesting things happening there when you take a close look at the text. And then there's also some interesting things if you project forward and you look at Noah compared to Abraham. So we're going to just dissect that a little in, in the next few minutes.
1: This is a great story. You know, it's one that isn't a fairy tale. It's not something that was fictional. We're talking really about a cataclysmic event that has left our world completely changed since uh, God allowed that to happen and brought it into existence. But when you when you have time at the synagogue and you guys are reading through this particular portion of the Torah, then will the rabbi ta- uh, typically take and, and and teach on Noah?
0: Yes. Yeah, so typically, uh, there's a uh, you know, there's a point where it's uh, essentially the equivalent of a sermon in a church, and uh, the rabbi will uh, get up and and it's it's uh, almost always uh, on on whatever the particular uh, portion of the Torah is that's being read that week. So yeah, uh, the week it's Noah, it's about Noah. The week it's Abraham, it's it's about Abraham.
1: So what was it like when you had a chance to hear recently about Noah? Did it provoke your thought in a fresh new way?
0: Yeah, it actually did. I mean, the the, the amazing thing about the Torah is, you know, there's a a Jewish understanding that everything is contained in the Torah, that there is, you know, if if not directly, literally, there's at least an allusion to everything that you, you can find it all there. And what that means in practical terms is, you know, you can read it, 50 times 100 times and that hundred first time all of a sudden you're going to notice something you never noticed before it's like unending and then when you read it in hebrew and uh, there's a few things i I can offer in that regard that i i was looking at that you, you find things that jump out at you in the hebrew that that you wouldn't uh in the english translation
1: right right
0: uh, so, so one, uh, one thing I'll just start out with, and it's, it's very interesting. You know, there's those, some people kind of skip over this part. You know, there's, there's the interesting stories and Adam and Eve in the garden and, you know, Noah building the ark, and, you know, Abraham talking to God and, you know, and in between they have these genealogies and this one, begat that one and he lived this many years and he had sons and daughters and this one got that one. And a lot of people kind of, you know, say, Hey, that's kind of boring and, and, and skip over that. But in fact, if you look at those things closely, um, they may not seem as interesting as the stories, but there's some real interesting things that come out of it. So one of the things that comes out of it is if you count up the generations and you look at Adam and it's, you know, who Adam begets and you go on, there's exactly 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And then if you count the generations, there's exactly 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. And, and this actually becomes significant in in a few ways.
1: Well, um, I think that when we when we come to these kinds of stories, whether it be Adam and Eve, whether it be, you know, Jonah and and the whale or the big fish, or whether it be be Noah and and the ark, I think how we read the Bible is such a critical piece because there will be some who will say, "Oh, what we're about to read is fictitious," and and you know basically, I think that reading the Bible falls into a few categories. One, read it literally, take it literally, unless otherwise demanded by by uh, figurative language, right? We also take it grammatically. Uh, that's that the grammar functions uh, just like it does in, in any other piece of communication it's that, that you're reading, that we, we grammatically, we, we really take it uh, by what it says and then we take it historically so it's, it's not a myth it's not a legend it's not some sort of a fanciful tale it's it's re- it is what it is it is what it says and here's what's interesting because that's how we interpret the rest of the books of the bible and so you know that's that should be applied to this particular story and i think one of the things that um i'm really taken by harold is i just uh, went back and perused this again. Was as uh, chapter six of Genesis really begins to uh, usher in the the prelude to the flood. And that little phrase I... "it came to pass" always means, "Uh oh, tr- trouble is about to come." <laughs> we're gonna, we're in for some trouble, and that certainly is what it seems to indicate on this, doesn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: So. Uh, one of the things—I'll um, just go back
0: to the the ten generations here. So, uh, one of the things that I find striking, if you if you look through this, is uh, now. And we actually did a whole show on this on Jewish and Christian understandings of original sin and specifically the Adam and Eve story. And and, mm-hmm. and the Jewish and Christian understandings of the story are are, are are rather different. And and that, by the way, also our listeners can certainly find archived on our on our site as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm obviously looking at this for, from a Jewish perspective, but th- but there's something very interesting that happens, that you have these 10 generations, and Noah, who Noah becomes the second Adam because it's like the earth is destroyed, and Noah is now the first man all over again, and humanity issues from him. Noah is the first one in the genealogy to be born after Adam dies. And as if to drive home that point, um first of all noah in hebrew it's noach so noach means comfort adam is uh from the hebrew word adamah it just means earth adam is from the earth so what happens we have uh first of all uh you know, God says to Adam in Genesis chapter three, uh, He says, "Because you did as your wife said and ate of the tree about which I commanded you shall not eat of it, cursed be the ground, Adamah, the same as Adam, because of you. By toil shall you eat of it all the days of your life." Now, something very interesting that happens here. So, there's this curse on the ground, and now we go through these ten generations. Now, Noach, the one who brings comfort, is the first one to be born after adam and now we're in chapter five and it's and it says when lamech uh had lived 182 years they obviously lived longer in those days he begot a son and he named him noah Noach, saying meaning comfort saying this one will provide us relief in hebrew it's the same so it's a different grammatical form but the same word as Noach. Uh, uh, bring us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands out of the very soil, Adamah, that same word, which the Lord placed under a curse. So we we have this idea, it's really setting it up that, yeah, there was Adam and there was this curse, and now, you know, this before we know about the flood yet, that Noah's been singled out, and he's the one who's now going to bring kind of humanity to a different place.
1: Yeah, I I think that the list of names that you're referring to in Genesis five, one of the things I'm reminded of in the Bible is that every name is rich with meaning, and yes. all of these names are actually telling a story. As you've taken the time to underscore the meaning of Adam's name, the meaning of Noah's name, that this uh, this man of comfort and my 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 understanding and and this is so good that we can visit about this is that basically enoch understood that god was actually going to destroy the world that right. sin had reached a point where god basically you know uh, regretted that he had made made the world and so he's going to take major major strides to just basically start over again in, in in some ways and Enoch knows this and, and in their conversation between he and God which I think they were pretty tight here's a guy the scripture says that that never tasted of death so he walked with the Lord and then the Lord right. took him uh took him in into his presence but Somehow, when they're talking about this, and he hears God speaking about what his plans are, and he wants to know, well, when will this happen? It basically says to him that it won't happen until your son uh, dies, and then after that it will usher in this time of judgment. So right. uh, everybody begins to know that when Methuselah dies, we're in trouble, so that's why he they took keep, a long time. Yeah, that's why he. You know why he? They say he lived to be the the oldest man who ever lived. Is because everybody ran chicken soup and um, Hall's <laughs> Menthol Cough Drops to him when he started catching a cold. You know, because boy, if this guy dies, we're in big trouble. But um, all of these names have such incredible meaning that ushers in finally this guy Noah. Who, um, who's gonna be used by God in a pretty phenomenal way. What do we know about Noah?
0: So then this is the interesting thing, and this is where we can start looking forward uh, some amazing parallels with Abraham. So it's a very curious turn of phrase. Uh, we get this in chapter seven. It, it doesn't just say Noah was righteous. And, and by the way, righteous is a word that later, you never really hear it associated with Adam at all, but it's associated with Noah. And it's certainly associated with Abraham, but there seems to be a little bit of a qualifier here. It says, Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generation. And then later in chapter 7, then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark with all your household, for you alone have I found righteous before me in this generation. So uh, Jewish sages throughout the ages have, have puzzled over this because, you know, why not just Noah is righteous? What is this in this generation? What, what is that supposed to tell us? So because uh, the idea is, you know, obviously, as you say, every name means something, but every word in the Torah, there's, no, there's nothing superfluous. So if it says in his generation, it, it must mean something. It's there for a reason. So it, it could mean a couple of things. First of all, it, it could mean, and this is one interpretation of it that Noah was especially righteous that here he lives in this very wicked generation a generation that's so wicked that brought about the flood and as we all know you know when you're surrounded by people who are doing bad things it's much harder to to not uh f- you know succumb to, to that right. so it, it could mean righteous in his generation he lived in such a wicked generation and yet he was still righteous despite it all uh, a second interpretation which i think gets a little bit more more play is he was righteous only in his generation? In other words, in the context of this very wicked generation in which he lived, uh, in comparison to those who were around him, yes, he was definitely considered righteous. He was, you know, the, in the in the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. He was righteous compared to everyone else. But there's this idea in the Jewish sources: had he lived in Abraham's generation, he would not have been considered righteous. And, and we can go into this a little bit uh you know the difference between noah and abraham when they're confronted with god uh seeking to destroy people for bad behavior how differently uh that they, they act from one another
1: you know one of the things when you talk about righteous noah was considered righteous abraham was considered righteous this is uh, long before we had uh, god hand down uh, the laws and right. so what is righteousness based on, and how, what, how did God consider them righteous if there was no law?
0: So that, that's a great question. Now in Abraham's time, there's what uh, you know, What Jewish sources, is, as we read the Torah, we understand that you know, God, when Noah steps off that ark, uh, God makes a covenant with him. And that covenant applies, you know, they're, uh, in Judaism, they're called the Noahide laws. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, some of them actually made their way into the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's, it's things like don't murder and uh, you can't eat the flesh of a living animal, which is repulsive as that seems mm-hmm. uh, happened in ancient times. And I understand mm-hmm. still happens in some cultures today. Uh, so this idea of being righteous, uh, certainly, you know, there was a basis in Abraham's time. But it, but it is a very interesting question in, in Noah's time uh, you know, there wasn't this sense of, uh, you know, the only thing I guess I could say is that, uh, there's another important difference. Um, Adam and Eve are given, and it's very clear, uh, they can eat from the, uh, any seed bearing plant and there's no killing in the garden of Eden. There's no animals that are allowed for food. And, Uh, Noah, when he's after the uh, covenant, when he steps off the ark, he's now allowed to to uh, to kill animals, to eat animals for food. So, um, you know, I I, there is the sense of you're not allowed to kill, although obviously Cain uh, does that. But but beyond that, yeah, you're right. There 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 are no specifics really given.
1: So when it speaks here about Noah, his name is given as Noah, saying this one will bring us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, from the ground which Hashem has cursed. So everyone knows that this guy is going to bring relief at some level, right? It's very interesting that, uh, and he called his name Noah, uh, Comfort, And, and then it goes on to explain what that comfort is and how uh, God is going to use him on the other side of the flood to uh, institute something that's a bit different when you when you talk about these Noahide laws i uh, <laughs> I'm always uh, thinking back to a time I was crossing from up by the Temple Mount across the Kidron Valley and over to the Mount of Olives I encountered a Jewish woman uh, there in the Kidron valley and she stopped me, and she said, are you Jewish? I said, no, uh, but I, uh, I have lots of Jewish friends. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> and she handed me a card, and she said, here, this is for you. And it was a list of the Noahide laws, which is— Oh, uh, this, uh, A real missionary. Yeah, she was a real missionary. <laughs> and what was really interesting is it, it said, this is the way to become a righteous Gentile. Okay, so that's uh, that goes all the way back to what we're talking about. That keeping right. these things is what created uh, righteousness, so that you could be a righteous Gentile. And just if you, right. just as you had mentioned, you know these these are directly connected to Noah.
0: Yeah, absolutely, but then we get to you know how righteous was noah mm. so one of the things that you know when you read the story that's striking here god says to noah I'm going to destroy the whole earth i mean this is not like a statement to be taken lightly you know i'm going to destroy the 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 whole earth and you know he even specifies you know everything that has the you know breath in it you know i'm going to destroy and you know sweep it away in a flood you know go build an ark and you know you'll take you know the the animals and, and your family and what does noah do he's like okay fine and we know the, you know, the ark, is, it, it wasn't something he built in a week or a month or a year. Right. This is, we're talking like a, a century, basically. And despite, you know, he had plenty of time to talk to people and say, hey, you know, like, uh, repent, it's not too late. Uh, maybe God will change his mind. And, you know, maybe he did And the Torah, doesn't record it. But what, what we get out of the Torah is, you know, he set to work building that ark. And he was all for saving himself and saving his family and the animals because God commanded him to do that. But when it came to everybody else, you know, he didn't say anything. Uh, he didn't speak out. And that's in such contrast to, then you, you fast forward 10 generations to Abraham, who's called righteous. And there's a striking parallel. You, know, you have uh, God says to Noah, I'm gonna destroy the earth. I'm gonna bring the flood because they've been wicked. Ten generations later, God says to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to completely obliterate them because they've been wicked. Same kind of idea. But what is Abraham's response? Um, And this is now chapter, we're now up to chapter 18 uh it says now the lord had said shall i hide from abraham what i'm about to do since abraham is to become a great and populous nation and all the eight nations of the earth are to bless themselves uh by him for i have singled him out that he instruct his children and his posterity to keep the way of the lord by doing what is just and right in order that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what He has promised him. Now that's already way beyond talking about Noah as righteous in his generation. Right. But then Abraham comes forward and says to God, and if you think about this, he's talking to the Creator of the universe, who's just told him, "Okay, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna sweep away Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so great." And Abraham says, "Will you sweep away the innocent along with the guilty?" What if there should be 50 innocent within the city? Will you then wipe out the place and not forgive it for the sake of the innocent 50 who are in it? And then this this famous line, you know, far from it, uh, far be it from you to do such a thing to bring death upon the innocent as well as the guilty so that the innocent and guilty fare alike. Far be it from you shall the judge of the earth not deal justly. Now, this is what in Hebrew is called chutzpah. Yes. You know, here yes. he's talking to, you know, the creator of the universe and, and he's saying, you know, wait a minute, you're not going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Come on. Like you're going to destroy innocent people. How could you do such a thing? And, and then God says, you know, as anyone who's read the story knows, God says, okay, if there's 50 righteous people, I'll spare it for the sake of 50, and, and that's not good enough for Abraham. And they say, well, what about if there are 40? What about if there are 30? And he gets all the way down to 10, and he, he basically bargains uh, God <laughs> down to 10, if there's 10 righteous people. But, you know, you you try to imagine what it must have been like that here he's talk, actually talking to God and then again you go back 10 generations now and you compare that to Noah of build okay build an ark sure I'll build an ark and I look I, you know we weren't there we can't even imagine what we would do in that situation but the contrast between the two is so
1: striking very very I think that you know Abraham had this heart for 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 people he you know, one of the things I remember reading, uh, I think, in the Jewish commentary, is that when Israel came, uh, when uh, Abraham came into the land of Canaan, that he set up a yeshiva. And and why not? Because anybody who looks at the geography, in order to get from one continent to the next, you just about have to go down through Israel. So if you're up, up yeah. in Asia Minor, uh, any of those uh, areas up north, uh, Turkey, Iran. Uh, Iraq, all of that. You you came down uh, across the Fertile Crescent and then down through Israel, which was kind of like the turnstile before you get into the continent of Africa. And here's Abraham telling people about this amazing God he's met, and he basically has this little stand, I guess maybe roadside stand, I don't know, maybe it's a <laughs> maybe it's a rest stop, I don't know. But he's telling people about this amazing God. And then that heart for God, I think, is what causes him to make this appeal to God, because he's known as the friend of God, right? And he right. says, but look, look, it doesn't make sense. That's why he says, far be it from, from you, you know. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't make sense for, for you to tell me you're going to wipe that out, but what, what if there's, you know, innocent people? And, and I love that heart. And it tells us that, you know, we can, we can encounter God, I think, and make appeals to God— on behalf of what seems to be justice, and I think that's what Abraham's doing, and I, I'm not sure exactly why why Noah wasn't that thick with it, but um, obviously he's pretty quiet on that himself, isn't he?
0: He is, and there's also, you know, and you, you wonder if Noah regretted it or, you know, because here he steps, uh, you know, if you, if you try to put yourself in that scene, he steps off the ark and you know, the animals go off the ark and they, you know, they, they go forth and there he is, it's himself, his wife, his three sons and their wives. And and that's it. Yeah, that's it. And everything he knew before the whole world that he knew before is completely gone. So then, it, and in that context, what, what follows then starts to make some sense because then it says after the flood, Noah plants a vineyard and he gets drunk and he debases himself. And there are Jewish commentaries that talk about what that means that he debases himself. But the fact is whatever it is, it's not good. And uh, there's actually a parallel after Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, lot gets drunk, although it's his daughter's doing not his own. Uh, but, Again, if you look at Noah, you wonder if he, you know, he looked around and he's like, "Whoa, what happened here? You know, what have I done?" And you know, and that that was his response was just to try to put it out of his mind. He got drunk. You know, Abraham, on the other hand, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he goes on to settle the land. He goes on to build a family, and just as Noah is the first is the first man after Adam. Abraham now goes on to set the stage. He's a first man in a certain way to set the stage for the entry of the Jewish people into history. But again, there's, there's an amazing contrast.
1: Yeah. You know, this is kind of interesting and maybe you can speak to this uh, in, in just your own background. But I think if you work the numbers right, that Noah is actually, alive when Abraham is born. He is. Right? Uh that's I mean, that's correct, yeah. This, this is an <laughs> this is an amazing thing <laughs> that Abraham could could be born while Noah is still living. Even though they may have not known each other, the timing of right. that. But nevertheless, um, Abraham eventually ends up meeting uh some of the downline of Noah and so yeah. as we talk about these contrasts there actually ends up being a bridge that's built between the two of them and where they actually you know interact eventually down down the road as god orchestrates the crossing of paths with with i believe it was shem
0: yeah, it was Shem, and and that's uh, who's Noah's son, and he's the one who really, you know, from which uh, he, he's the he's the one from which then with Abraham and everything ultimately evolves. You asked me toward the beginning of the show, you know, if I saw something new, and I'll, I'll say the one thing I really saw that I, had not struck me before is there's I think there you could read an implicit message if you into taking these three stories together, uh, and that it's actually a very positive message that. Uh, mankind can evolve, uh, certainly morally, because there, there's really a progression here. You know, Adam essentially is handed literally everything on a silver platter and he blows it. You know, he just has one yes. command he has to keep and he he doesn't he doesn't manage to do right. it and gets himself you know expelled from the, the garden and a curse on the ground and all of that. Noah uh, is accounted righteous. Noah uh, you know, at least saves himself, and you know, and makes it possible for humanity to continue, even when there's evil all around him. Which is, you know, that's already a quantum leap right. from Adam. And now you have Abraham 10 generations later, you know, for all the things we discussed, that's a quantum leap beyond that. So there, there's this real like progression of humanity, Absolutely. which which gives some hope, you know, when you, when you start seeing some things happening today, even, uh, where things are going the other direction, and it gives some hope, well, you know, they, they could reverse course.
1: Yeah, right. Speaking of reversing course, the clock on the wall is screaming at us we're out of time but uh, i hate that i do too i want to encourage our listeners to uh, scope out genesis uh, uh, you, you read right along with where the where the uh, synagogues are uh, working through right now thanks for joining us this weekend always enjoy having you be a part of it contact harold and i at the teacher and the preacher at gmail.com and may the god of israel who never slumbers or sleeps may he watch over israel and the jewish people and may god bless America.
0: Amen.